We all want more freedom, and a lot of us work hard now in the hope we'll feel free later. What if there was another way? A way to feel happier, more free, and confident to get better results right now. Welcome to Your Freedom Unlimited, where we share practical stories and strategies to help you show up authentically, drop your fears, and take inspired action on what matters most to you. I'm your host, Jen Ramsey. As a coach with a love for metaphysics, science, spirituality, and strategies that get results, I'll help you step away from self-doubt and create a powerful new story for your life, business, or career. Join me. Hey everyone, Jen Ramsey here and welcome to our episode this week of Your Freedom Unlimited. And this week I am super excited to be introducing to you Matt Cohn. So Matt Cohn is a very interesting person. He spent a couple of decades as a tech executive bringing banks online into the online world and helping wealthy families develop philanthropic practices for themselves. So he says, as Matt says, his life was traditionally idyllic or idyllically traditional with nice homes, kids, vacations and cars. But this all changed in 2010. And during the last decade, he's spent uh, traveling new cultures and exploring consciousness on very much an inward journey. So this journey has led him to blend his business experience with consciousness practice to aid entrepreneurs to build conscious businesses through the new benefit corporation structure or B Corps. So I want to welcome you today, Matt, to the show and to say thank you so much for spending your time with us here on uh, Your Freedom Unlimited. Honored to be here. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, you've got such a fascinating background, Matt, and um, and we've only come into contact with each other in the last month or so. But I am very fascinated by your story and the many things you're doing. I mean, just out of that intro alone, there's there's a range of things we could we could talk about. But this show, as you know, is all about um, you know, freedom and uh, how people can find more freedom within themselves. So. I just wanted, perhaps, if you'd like to give us a little bit of backstory and perhaps explain to us. I mean, 2010, you you had quite a dramatic right-hand turn in your in your life, in your life choices, the way you were doing the whole thing called life. So perhaps could you just give us a little bit of backstory to that and and what encouraged that change? Well, I would say for 46 years, I was uh, lived the American playbook perfectly. I was, uh, you know, in as a boy, you're told to go to the right schools, marry the right woman, uh, acquire the right materials, get the right jobs. And I did that perfectly for 46 years. And then on my 46th year, there was a graduation that I wasn't prepared for, which was my kids went to college and my wife of 26 years sat me down and said she was going in a different direction. Um, So all of a sudden it was the first time in my life when things weren't going my way. I was very good at getting what I wanted. And in in that moment, I was like, whoa, I don't know what I'm doing now. I had, I had no, one, no one relying on me any longer. The kids were off to college. Their tuitions had been paid for. Um, my ex-wife was off on her own direction. And as a male, uh, living a traditional householder lifestyle, responsible for other people, all of a sudden, nobody was counting on me for anything. Extremely disorienting to wake up one day and say, I'm responsible for myself now. Wow. Um, so I, I went to, uh, 
as sort of a knee-jerk reaction, I went to Nepal to go paragliding with some friends of mine. Uh, my passion is paragliding. And the idea was I would go to Nepal and drink beer and go flying and you know try to find some happiness. And the first week that I was there, I met a guy in a cafe. And this guy told me he had done the hardest thing he had ever done in his life. And my assumption was that he had climbed Mount Everest or something. And he said, no, I, I went and did one of these Vipassana meditation courses, uh, 10 days, t- 10 hours a day for 10 straight days. Mind you, I had never meditated for five minutes in my life. And something in my system said, hey, we're going to go do that. <laughs> and so, so I went to this, uh, you know, checked into this, what I would call a concentration camp. They took my passport, all my, my phone, everything, signed me to a room and told me I wasn't going to be able to talk for 10 straight days. And it was, mm, it, I've done it. It, was, <laughs> it was the most painful, challenging thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. I was a breath away from leaving for 10 straight days. But in each of those moments, I knew that there was something there for me. Mm. And it started to become incredible. Like I started to like see myself. I started to see my systems. I started to see how I could BS myself. You know, I, mm. I saw a lot of the stories that I was telling the outside world that weren't true. And I, I came back to the States after that trip, attempted to go back into my normal old life of working and, you know, seeing my kids a bit. And it started to disintegrate, disintegrate, you know, things just started to fall apart. So that, I, I guess it was my choice, but it, it almost felt like I didn't have a choice. Like there was the path of most resistance. <laughs> and yeah. therefore that's, it was the path of most resistance. So therefore that was the path I should choose, right? <laughs> right, know? exactly. And look, wow, that what an incredible story. I mean, kind of just even if we could, if I can stop just there for a minute. Mm. This show is all about your freedom, but suddenly mm-hmm. here you were at 46, handled, handed your freedom on a platter, but not knowing what to do with it and feeling very disoriented. And you're right, because mm-hmm. suddenly the playbook, and I love that mm-hmm. term you've used, so, so suddenly the playbook that you lived your life by had, had just disappeared it, it, it overnight, literally overnight by the sound of things. And then to find yourself, sorry, you're going to say something. Uh, it just, it's like, it was like I graduated. I didn't know, mm-hmm. I, was, I was promoted out without knowing yep. that, that there was even a notion of a graduation. Yeah. So, so it wasn't even like it was taken away. It was all of a sudden, okay, you're completed. Now That's you're done. done. That's right. <laughs> it was a very clear kind of underline under that chapter, wasn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. wow, that's it. And then to find yourself in Nepal, think I'll do some paragliding with some friends, I'll drink some beer, and then suddenly you're in Vipassana. And I've, like you, I've done Vipassana. Mm. And like you, I, um, I struggled for seven days. In, the, in that in that sitting and mm-hmm. and you're right it's everything's taken away from you and for listeners who haven't done Vipassana you um, we're probably not promoting it very well right now but it is an amazing experience <laughs> yeah you've just got to bear with it but like you when you know what you because you can't have any writing tools no reading it's literally you and you and you and you and the breath mm-hmm. and um, like you I struggle it was day seven I remember had I had this incredible breakthrough when I just allowed myself to be with myself so Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's not easy so fantastic that you so you had this incredible experience with Vipassana and then you Mm -hmm. attempted to re-enter life back in Mm -hmm. the U.S. Mm -hmm. but it all sort of slipped away so Mm -hmm. what happened then? I I came back to the States and you know my clients started to fall away business just deteriorated Um, my own interest in it deteriorated 
I started to find myself losing the Vipassana practice because you come out with this enthusiasm, diligence, and then, oh, maybe I'll sit one hour a day rather than two hours a day. And maybe I'll have a beer tomorrow. And, you know, you start to fall off the wagon. Mm-hmm. And a couple couple of months away from it, I said, screw that. I was so happy when I left the course, I was determined to jump back into the practice again. So um, my younger daughter actually had some time left in high school and she joined me and we went to Nepal and India for six months of traveling um, before she went to college. So I had this sort of gap year with her, if you will, where she and I, and then um, some of her friends ended up coming along. So we, we had a, an excursion. Eventually I was traveling with six women in Asia. <laughs> and I mean, in and of itself, that was the most priceless experience because I've always been in charge of directing our family. And, you know, we're driving down the street and we need to go left, we'll turn left. And when you travel with six women, you go one extra block, you turn right, you turn right, you turn right. And that's how you go left. And, you, you know, you get to the same place, but you see a lot more things when you're traveling with women. But Fantastic. So, it's not all about the most efficient way from A to B. Um, in fact, you know, when you travel with six women, you see a lot more interesting things by going right three times to go left. So. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly six. It wasn't like it was just one or two. Six, you were definitely outnumbered in that experience. Oh, that you were just... It, it wasn't even worth raising my opinion. This wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> just I'm along for the ride. Which I got... <laughs> I got kind of used to. I mean, for for so many years, I was responsible for making decisions, and you know, it was the first time I really. You said I got freedom, but I also could just surrender and saying, "I, you guys will get me there. Let me show me the route." So, yeah. And isn't that? And you know, in the conversations that I'm having on the podcast, Matt, so often this word surrender comes up when we're having mm-hmm. a conversation about freedom. It's happened on every interview so far. Yeah. So you're right. There's this inside freedom there is this beautiful surrender to to what is. And mm-hmm. as you say, you could be that that experience of traveling with six women, but it's this surrender to to the isness of life, isn't it? Rather than than yeah. what we think that it should be. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. No, it's surrender to isness. I also really love the notion of passionate detachment. And the Tell idea me about that. a metaphor is uh, you wake up in the morning with blue energy to build a blue house. So you're really stoked to build this blue house and you're, all your thoughts are with this blue energy. And so you go to the Home Depot to buy building materials for the blue house and there's all these pink bikes in the way. You kind of move them out of the way and you get your blue materials. And then you go to the permit office to get your permit to build your blue house and there's pink bikes there. And you say, you know what, I might get one of those pink bikes and you take it for a ride. And all of a sudden you decide, oh, I want to be a pink pink bike manufacturer, you make a ton of money and you hire people to build your blue houses. So the metaphor is to nurture that blue, that passion, but stay detached from the goal. And, And the goal will unfold it'll bring you places it's kind of like two degrees of separation the the blue energy brought you to the idea of riding a pink bicycle that ultimately brought you much more than if you followed the path to build the blue house yourself oh i love right? that so love that. if we're so de- if we're so dedicated to our goal eventually you know western culture says set your goal be determined get there and then eventually you build your blue house you got a big mortgage you're working three jobs but you got the house that you wanted because you, you ignored the signposts or the pink bikes along the way. Mm. But if enough pink bikes are material to stay flexible and then follow those, 
You never would have known about a pink bicycles unless you had followed the passion of the blue house. So I love it. I love it. And you're right. It's, it's exactly. And this, I think, is where the jumping off point of, in terms of what, what I'm talking about when I talk about your own freedom unlimited. I'm talking about being um, in a place where you're taking action, but it's inspired action. It's action that's coming to you, allowing that inspiration to drop in. So it's the pink bicycle. It could be the the you know you know the yellow scooter or whatever it is but allowing yourself to listen to that inspiration and to see it and to tap into it mm -hmm. rather than this dogged i'm going to get to that goal you know the, the way that we're brought up in the west and and yeah. i know what you're saying you know from a from that american lifestyle and we have it here in australia i think it's it's just pervasive in our western culture in terms of well you know if i just set my goal and if i just focus on that and then doggedly and determinedly i will get there well Yes, you might, but there might be a lot that you miss out on on the way. You know, as yeah. you said, a lot of pink bicycles, a lot of experiences. Yeah. And we sort of, you know, and, and there's so much, It's life's a lot richer for that in terms of that experience. But there's also perhaps more of that path that we're meant to actually be on by going after the pink bicycle. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and if you look at that in terms of your experience with traveling with the six women in Asia, Yes, you probably saw a lot more pink bicycles than if you doggedly said, no, we've got to get from point A to point B in, in the quickest Absolutely. time possible. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. another wonderful metaphor. Is I like the, there's three approaches to a river. So there's a large river. And the Western approach is you see the river and you say, I'm going to go dam that river up, put an electrical mill on it, raise energy from it, and sort of control nature. Mm. And then eventually an, a storm comes and blows the dam away. So the second approach is smoke some marijuana, get in a raft, sit in the middle of the river in a tube and just float and see wherever life takes you. Mm -hmm. The third approach is to get into a kayak, get into the river, go with the flow of the river, but you also have some ability to navigate within the river. So you're kind of working with the river to go where you want to go, yeah. right? And, and the control of the river doesn't work. It's no. not sustainable. It's not sustainable. It, it'll eventually get run over. Nature will take back her power. The second approach doesn't really work either because just surrendering and not having any input to what's going on, um, it gets a little boring or it's not as impactful or as effective, right? No, that's exactly, I agree with you completely. And I love that analogy. It's a, And the, the the thing there is going with the flow. So allowing rather than resisting and putting up resistance to how things are or how mm. things should be, but saying, okay, there is a flow here and there is a flow, right? There is a flow in consciousness. There's a flow in the world around us. If we can react and interact more with, with this is what we get, this is why we like to go into nature because mm -hmm. we can actually feel her, feel the flow of nature and, and come more, you know, energetically aligned and we feel the energy of that and, and can take that into our lives. So yeah. you're exactly right, flowing and, and damming the river and, and sitting there and, it, you know, with, with marijuana is probably not going to help either. So, yes, you're right, flowing. <laughs> so how did you then flow? What happened then? Uh, you were obviously flowing through the process, travelling with the with the women. Then what, what happened after that? Oh, my, maybe my third Vipassana sit. I kind of got addicted to these courses because mm -hmm. every time I felt, maybe almost like an AA meeting, but I kind of felt like, you know, I'd fall off the wagon a little bit and I'd go back in and do a course. And I think it's probably in my third course where I got strong inspiration to take one of my passions. My passion is paragliding mm -hmm. and, and to merge it with doing something good. 
that would feel good. Um, and so I created an organization called Karma Flights, which you can kind of think about as like pilots without borders. I would uh, organize groups of paragliding pilots to go to third world countries, typically like Nepal or India or Bali, um, in some places in Central America. And we would go there on a, on a project uh, flying vacation. So we go flying, but we would also raise money and help build a kitchen in the local schools and so forth. So it's been a remarkably fun thing to do because a lot of paragliding pilots are men in their midlife crisis. They've got extra discretionary income, but kind of want to feel like they're giving back and want to be able to travel to exotic places. So you bring all those together and had some very transformative experiences for a lot of these people that I brought to these locations where you could, it's not like just going on a paragliding vacation, staying in a nice hotel and drinking beer and, you know, skimming the top end of the experience and being in Nepal. Like we would actually go and dive in, do homestays, fly, you know, get our hands dirty on building a kitchen, those sorts of things. Love it. So much more meaning from that, isn't there, in terms of, and being with the community, being in the homestays, staying yeah. with the people and there to find out a little bit, see the world through their, their eyes for a while. And how did your pilots respond? How did your people who, who you, your guests who were going on the trips, how did they respond to that? You know, it's uh, thank you for that question. In truth, and when I'm really asked about this and I'm honest, we did some nice work in these countries, but the part that was the most rewarding was seeing the change in the people that I brought there and the ripple effects of what would happen when they would go back home and just in their own communities or their families and so forth. So I've, I've questioned sometimes how I'm more passionate about the impact that they've, you know, white privileged people and what the impact on them and going home than necessarily the impact that we've had in these local communities which has been profound as well. But that's the part that's turned me on the most is, mm. is seeing a pilot in their mid you know, 40s that is ready to break out, ready to do something different. And largely on these trips, we'd be sitting around campfires talking about meditation or you know, transformative experiences and boom, 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 boom. You know, <laughs> and stuff starts to happen when you take them out of their, their comfort zone of home and show them new ways of being and new ways of thinking. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's funny, as you said, that it has popped into my mind as well. Exactly. It's the it's the transplanting out of your everyday existence that mm -hmm. I sometimes think that is that's what that's that allows sort of the mind to open up because you, we've already moved out of our comfort zone, moved away from whatever is comfortable for us in our sort of Western culture. And suddenly we're in quite a different environment and opening. There's something that happens in that space. And this is why I think retreats and, and so on are so valuable in other countries and in, in you know I love going to Bali and and places like this because you are transplanted out of your everyday and your mind can then open up into something that's that's can can actually be open more open to other ideas so yeah. that's fantastic so so good and and look impact is impact right so yeah. great that it's supporting the <laughs> Nepalese but also probably even more impactful as you say for those people um, back home in the US because I think sometimes for people listening to podcasts like this might say, well, it's all well and good for someone like Matt to go and, you know, go and travel the world, but I'm still at home in America. How can I find more of this freedom for myself? Mm. You know, and what would your what would your response be to that? Well, I, there's a period of uh, seven years before I got divorced, my ex-wife and I, had an epiphany one day where the matrix wasn't working for us. Mm -hmm. And we, we daydreamed for a night about taking a short sabbatical and maybe going camping in Europe for a summer. 
-hmm. That daydream was a slippery slope because in a few weeks later, within a few weeks time frame, a company I was a part of was acquired. I was let go. Uh, someone wanted to buy our house, including all of our furniture. And all of a sudden, and one of my cars, and all of a sudden we found ourselves in Europe purchasing a motorhome and spending a year abroad homeschooling our kids. Wow. So I guess why I bring that up is um, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Yeah. And allowing time at night with your spouse, daydreaming about potential potentiality, you know, in places of sort of lucidness where things are sort of free or just outside of the tensions of different stuff, just say, you know, what would that look like? What would that look like? What would like look like? I, I say that cautiously, though, because it's a slippery slope, because in those places where you kind of are open to those inspirations, you may find universe conspiring to make those things come true. And careful what you voice your dreams about. <laughs> it's not even like what you wish. It's not even like what you wish. It's just what be careful what you give voice to. Yeah, exactly. Um, because that stuff start, that's potent. And all of a sudden, uh, you, you may not even like we actually resisted it because I wasn't really ready to leave this company. And, and then I'll, we weren't really, we had just finished a massive remodel on a beautiful home and we hadn't even lived in it yet. It was, it was completed. And somebody contacted our agent to buy the house and it was like, Oh geez. And all of a sudden the momentum just took us away. You know? So, so I guess if it's truly an interest in there, just create some space to just daydream I love without, that. without necessarily thinking about how it would happen just be courageous to talk a little bit about what that would look like and then That's, see what happens yeah i love that i love that because i think it is yes it's that and i know it's that that time of that you're talking about that lucid state that time of night when things are just our brains are in a different uh wavelength and we're in that space of yeah you're right of really a, a lot more potentiality than yeah. perhaps during our, our sort of automatum kind of daily you know daily yeah. routines so Yes, that's good. thank you for that. And I think the other thing I'd probably say there too is that when I talk about freedom and, and feeling freedom within yourself, it doesn't necessarily have to be about wholesale changing everything in your life and, and, and changing everything. It's actually about the perspective that you take on your life and the abundance perhaps that we, because I think the other thing we can sometimes fall into, and I've noticed myself in Western culture, we can somehow, I mean, we're, we're the richest we are the richest culture that has ever existed on this planet, to my knowledge, well, to my historical knowledge. You know, we're richer than, than kings and queens were, you know, a few, few hundred years ago in terms of the way we live with running water, electricity, everything at our disposal. Yet somehow we've got a lot of, we have great feelings of lack. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing that I have really been focusing on in the last couple of years has been this notion of how abundant am I? And changing my perspective on my my everyday and changing my perspective on how abundant am I in my relationships or in my work or in my business or and it's just that simple change in perspective that has allowed a wholesale change in my entire life rather than having to drop everything and and go to another place although that's also great too as a breakthrough sure. <laughs> yeah so what happened then so you you did the paragliding um, tours. What happened after that? Hmm. Well, I'd say around 2015, one of the things you and I wanted to talk about was abundance in, in another Vipassana course. So there's a theme here. Um, I was downloaded, if you will, for 10 straight days 
a lot of information and uh, views on what abundance was, uh, how, how abundance works. And, and I was actually even gifted during that Vipassana sit a personal financial practice uh, to teach other people to how to get into a place of financial abundance. Um, so that became a theme personally was this notion of how to teach personal financial abundance. In my business career, I was involved with personal financial software and online banking software. And we, I was involved with software that would help people keep budgets and tracking and doing that. So it's kind of a background of mine of how to work with personal finances. And so in this, this particular Vipassana course, it kind of married a lot of that stuff and is a new way of thinking about financial abundance. And that was a pretty fascinating thing because right after I did that, I was contacted to do a TED talk, which was an extremely scary thing to do because if you've, a TED talk, you have to have a written script. You have to speak verbatim to the script. That's something I do quite well. I more feel like I channel things and it comes through and I had to channel this, this script and I had to get up and talk about something uh, pretty audacious about how to work with your personal finances. Um, it was a challenging thing to do. And it was it, a great TED talk though. I've watched it. It's a great TED talk. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I've, I have a difficult time watching it myself, you know, just self-judgment and so forth. So I appreciate that, but it was a, it was an important thing to do. And it, it set the foundation for doing things with conscious capitalism and conscious business work as well. Wow. So, Could you perhaps just take a bit of time? I love the story and I'd love people listening to hear this whole abundance model approach. I'm, I'm starting to look at how I integrate it into, into my world. So I'd love you to share that with us if you could. How does it work? Okay. Do. So uh, I was very fortunate in my last sort of seven years of my business career here in Seattle is I had about a hundred clients, very, very, very wealthy families who hired our firm to help them work with their philanthropic efforts. Mm -hmm. So we helped them run their private family foundations. So I had several you know, meetings a week with hundred million dollar families to sit down and talk about how they could give back in the world. It always struck me in those meetings how concerned those families were with money. They were constantly meeting with financial advisors. There was such a fear around money when they had extreme wealth. Then I started traveling into Nepal and I would meet with these little families in mud huts who would give you anything that you asked for. And I could just see like the abundant nature of these families that had in theory nothing, but they didn't, they didn't have any fear over resources. And why is that? Because for generations they've lived on their land. The land is always provided. They live in communities that if someone gets sick, the community puts the money together and pays for things. So there, there isn't a sense of lack. It was always just, well, the, the nature source community provides. And so why would I worry about these sorts of things? Where in these wealthy families, there was always a fear that the great, great grandchildren weren't going to have $10 million to live off of. Right. You know, so, so bit of a, bit of a juxtaposition there really. So, but it, it just, be, when I just looked at it as is, then this notion came to me really clearly is resources have nothing to do with a mud, abundant mindset. It, it's a mindset. And, and here are these people with nothing that live in abundance. And here are these people with extraordinary wealth that live in scarcity. So the idea, so the training came down from the abundance model is how do you switch from one mindset to the other? And in many, many traditions, they talk about the notion of an overflowing cup. So your cup overfloweth. So an abundant picture is you have a, a 10 ounce 
cup or a hundred milliliter ounce, whatever in the other parts of the world, you have a 10 ounce cup. And if you put 13 ounces in that cup, well, what happens? Three ounces just overflows, right? Uh, I love the analogy of, if I have a closet that holds only three jackets, but I have 10 jackets, if you walk by and you're cold, I, I give you one of the jackets. I find joy that that was the rightful place for that extra jacket. It wasn't one of my jackets. You're doing me a favor by showing me where this jacket belongs. If I have a closet with ten that holds 10 jackets and I have 10 jackets in it, and you walk by and you're cold and I take one out and I give it to you, that's called generosity because mm -hmm. I'm being a generous person. I'm giving you one of mine and now I have nine. I used to have 10. And you could argue I had too many, but I had 10 in my mind, I had 10. And now I've given you one. If I have a closet that can only hold three jackets and I have 10, it's a burden to me that I have seven extra jackets. I'm trying to find a place where those go. You see the difference? I do, absolutely, yeah. Right. And so if you have $100 million, but you think your closet is a $100 million closet and you will give someone a million dollars, you have $99 million. You think you have less now. Right. So, so how do you switch the two? And, and the magic is really comes down to you must create for yourself an overflowing cup. Yeah. You must create a place where you see that you have surplus, not excess. You have surplus. You have too much. And the only, as we know from many spiritual practices, the only power is the power is now. There is no future. So Western culture would say, well, I want to be abundant. So let me go make extra, you know, extra $10,000 so I can be generous. Right. The problem is, is that's a future date and time. And between now and then, you're probably going to increase your expenses. So when you get an extra ten thousand dollars, you you don't really have any excess to give away. Right. Mm -hmm. This never works. So the abundance model is pretty drastic. It says today, it, let's say you're receiving ten thousand dollars. Seven thousand dollars of that was intended for you, and three thousand dollars of that was intended for you to be a steward of. To, to make investments that meet your own alignment, but, but cause good in the world. And they fall into three equal buckets. I call them people, causes, and magic. So $10,000 is given to you, 7,000 is for you, 1,000 goes to people, causes, and magic. Uh, the people budget is intended to, along the themes of helping people learn to fish rather than giving them fish. Mm -hmm. So. People show up in our lives that are trying to enhance their lives, go to a yoga workshop in Bali or take the Joshua workshop or whatever that may be. And we can contribute towards those from our people budget. We can kind of help people help themselves. The causes budget is the idea that every each of us should take on one cause in the world that we're passionate about. So let's say it's uh, animal rights or environment or education in Bali. And that'd be a place where we imply our own personal resources, um, intellect and energies, and also financial resources. The third bucket is magic. And this is the fun one. And the magic says, uh, do anonymous creative acts of giving. And a fun example is uh, go into a restaurant, see a couple, go to the cashier and say you'd like to pay for their meal and leave before you see their reaction. Wow, okay. love it. So, so it's a powerful tool because it completely reinforces that I have excess resources because mm. traditional logical mind in the West would say, well, you just burn money. Like, you know, it, and minimally stick around and watch the gratification of them, you know, seeing the surprise of getting that meal paid for. But where the magic comes from is if I can reinforce in my sense that I have these 
extra resources to give in that way. But I also believe that the system, the, the world is a, a perfect karmic accounting system. Mm-hmm. So by putting that into the field, the system has to kind of return that back with interest. Mm-hmm. So you, you start to find your synchronicity in your life coming. I think it's magic, but you know, you do these acts and other things start to happen because it kind of comes back in a boomerang back to us. Absolutely. I, I get what you're saying there. So tell us about, and I want to talk about that that boomerang back kind of concept, but before we go there, there's one little piece in there that I'd really like to just mm. clarify. And I've heard you speak about this before, but it's this act of, say, paying for the restaurant bill but not seeing the outcome. Can you explain why that's so important or how that's part of this, this process? Watching the outcome is payment. I mean, if you go in and you pay for someone's meal and it costs $100, one could argue that watching the surprise and the reaction from those people is worth $100 to you, like watching a good movie or a good play. Mm. Right? And, and so the payment, like the reward comes from seeing that happen. If I do it and leave and don't get paid, there's a void there because the payment's going to come in another way down the road. And it Mm. can come just from magic in life. And this is just my own perception on that. But the second point is really important is it reinforces that I have excess. So think about is let's say you were given a job, you you got given a job and you say, we're hiring you and we're going to give you $10,000 a year to go pay for people's meals. And It'd be like, well, it wasn't my money. So mm. you just go and do it. And you're like, I'm getting paid to do this. And you, you wouldn't really care after a period of time of the reaction from these other people, right? It's like you have this job assignment to go do this work. Does that make sense? It does completely. And it's, it, it reduces the magic to a transaction. And whereas actually the magic mm-hmm. is not on getting that transaction straight back to you or that payment, if you if you will, as you've said. It's about, and it's about also about retraining, if what I'm hearing you say correctly, it's about retraining the brain to understand that this is not a transactional reality, that actually we're in a very supportive reality. So if we can take the transaction out of the equation and if I can have the faith to know that if I go and pay for someone's meal in a restaurant, that I am somewhere around at some point in the future, I'm going to be supported in a similar way. Is that, is that really? That's, that's half of it. But the mm-hmm. second half of it is reinforcing in my mind that the resources being given to me, part of them are for mine use and part of me is for me to be a steward of for the benefit of others. Right. Thank you for that clarification. So it's about the fact that, in fact, things, that's, that's beautiful. So what you're saying is that things that come to me some of them actually are never meant for me. They're actually meant to flow through me to someone else. Yes. I just happen yes. to be the vessel or the facilitator of that process in that in that moment. And you get to have the joy of adding your own personal uh, creativity to that flow because yeah. yeah. it's, it's it's flowing through your your creativeness that's happening. I, I love the idea. I love the idea that maybe the world is a multi-level karma scheme. So we know what multi-level marketing schemes are. Sure but do. a multi-level karma scheme is that source is lazy. And if, if source can find other people to do its work and we get good at it, then they're going to pour more and more resources through us to have that work done. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. And the concept of the laziness of source, I love it. And it is because it's about <laughs> you know, just sort of just letting it all flow through. And, again, that's the notion of the river flow again, right? It's the same that analogy we used earlier. It's just the flow of things going through. Could you tell us a bit about the parking tickets? I'd love people to hear about that. Yeah, sure. This one's fun. I, I spent some time creating a fake parking ticket from the Department of the Status Quo. Mm -hmm. And I leave these on cars with a $10 bill. And the ticket says that you've been fined for excessive awesomeness from the Department of the Status Quo. And we'd like you to consider the impact on the status quo if everyone if exhibited the same level of excessive awesomeness as you. Your fine is included. Please consider the consequences. I <laughs> so, love it. <laughs> so I, I like to leave these on car doors and not watch reactions because it flows in magic. But periodically, I accidentally will see somebody uh, open these up. And it's so funny to watch someone who's pissed off that they just got a parking ticket and then open it up and then like be so confused, like what the hell happened? You know? <laughs> and when I first started doing this, I would try to find you know the fun hippie cars that thought this would be fun. And, and then I started to realize, no, I'm gonna find the wealthy cars, like mm -hmm. the, the Mercedes. And the ripple effects of a $10 fine for excessive awesomeness, where that person goes into the office and all of a sudden starts to becoming excessively awesome you know, gives raises to people or starts to treat people nice or something. Mm -hmm. The impact of that person that can have for that $10 is better than the person that already knows they're excessively awesome, right? You know, like absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And the person, and yes, that's right. It's almost like um, Scrooge could become somebody quite different in that experience. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you've, you've completely disrupted their view of the world, their view of themselves and what can happen. And then through that act, they can then go and, and, as you say, be the ripple effect out because, and it's, it's, I love it. I just, I love it. That's so great. And if the world is a multi-level karma scheme, then selfishly, I want the most royalties that I can get. Right. So right. Exactly. turning Scrooge around and Scrooge's impact out in the world, if I can get a small royalty off of that versus a person that's already doing good, mm -hmm. it's a better bet. It's a better bet for me. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, it's going to fill your coffers up, your karma coffers up. Yeah. Just um, in terms of that, and this is a little bit off topic, but you 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 know, you talk about the karma bank. Um, do you do you have any concerns about the concept of karma in terms of that sort of transactional approach? I, I'm just curious about, you know, there's because I think we have a view of karma in sure. the West. And I'm not sure if it's exactly right. You've done a lot more study, a lot more sitting in Vipassana to understand this. So your views on that are great. My sense is like when someone's overweight, a practice of getting on a, a strict diet, managing proteins, calories, and like understanding things, if they can keep that practice going for six, nine months, then it becomes just their habit. It becomes who they are. Mm. So with one of the things with the abundance model is initially being the 70-10-10 and a practice of it and moving through the pain of sticking to that diligently and the pain of not always eating what you want to or not always buying what you want to. Over time, though, it starts to feel good. It starts to become the normal routine mm -hmm. and therefore becomes your practice in life. So I, I personally, and also the people that I've coached with the abundance model, will often say that after a year or two, the amount of resources coming in starts to become overwhelming. 
Wow. Because they're law of attraction wise, you're an abundant person, more abundance is going to flow to you. That's it. Right. And, and the 70, 30 split starts to go to like 60, 40, 50, 50, because you know, the last thing I want to do is dam up resources, damming energy, blocking energy causes cancer, right? So I want there to be a flow of this. So it becomes easier to match those resources with new ideas that come up. I guess how I see this with respect to karma, I think initially it's helpful to see that I'm going to do this and it's going to benefit me by clearing things down the line. But I think after a while of being in the practice of it, it just becomes who you are. You, you don't really have to think about it. It just becomes, well, this is what I do. I don't know why I do it. It's just because I do it this way. It's easier. It's fun. You know, it feels good. So Yeah. And that feeling good. I think that's also the piece that I'm I'm really passionate about is how can we actually feel better on the daily? How can we actually feel better inside ourselves every day? And the thing that I've noticed in my life has been that in when you're in that space of lack, it's actually a very um it's it's a very negative space to be and it's just a downward spiral it's quite a downward spiral whereas what you're proposing is okay let's you're really proposing it's a very different way of retraining the brain in the abundance it's 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 a it's really a brain training program into an abundance mindset in a very different way yeah i mean we don't worry about there being enough oxygen right and so no. these people we just you know, if I need to climb, go somewhere, there's going to be oxygen there. And, and truthfully, financial resources, as we know through working with Joshua and different things, like there's always what we need for whatever journey we're going to take. That's it. Right. right? And so financial resources are, you know, whatever we dream, they'll come. Um, That's it. And, and getting into an overflowing cup is a much more comfortable way to be than living on a, on a paycheck to paycheck basis. Absolutely. Right? And that's it. And that's what I'm talking about is that exactly it's that that ease and peace of mind on the daily rather than feeling worried and anxious. And, you know, and it is it's it's a feeling of constriction that in terms of where is the next paycheck going to come? How am I going to pay those bills? That's that's sort of the, the flip that we that is really vital to make in terms of your finances, but also in terms of to me, this is obviously where I'm talking about it, this in the finance space at the moment. But it's doing the flip on this in every part of our lives with our our, job, our relationships, you mm -hmm. know, our relationship with ourselves. It's that am I self-critical or am I am I self-supporting? You know, it's it's a, it's a flip on all of those things. So mm -hmm. so powerful. But it's a very physical way, as you say. It's a very tangible way of um, of making a difference. So. I fall, I, I fall off the wagon sometimes. I mean, events occur in the world and, you know, coronavirus and the markets are going to crash and we're going to have resources. And like, I'll notice a little constriction will come inside of me. Like, you know, I, maybe I should budget or maybe I should be a little more careful with the money. And as soon as I feel that restriction coming up, I say, screw you. And I go out and I start, I'll double the number of parking tickets that day. Or that's like, like, I know I'm not going to go that direction. I'm going to be contrarian to that. Invitation, invitation to constrict. And I go, yes. I say, screw you. I'm not going there. And I go straight at it. And, and I'm like, tighten up my practice, you know, as if like you had gained five pounds and, you know, over a bad weekend of eating, you know, the following week, you get more diligent, maybe clean up the things a little bit. And that's how I feel when I feel constriction from lack coming in. Mm. Then I go straight at it and have these tools to you know, make grants. And I love it. And, I love it. And you're right. And I, sorry. It's good medicine. Yeah. Yeah, great medicine. 
And I think that's this kind of medicine that we need, particularly in this, this, this time of the pandemic. I mean, it's been unprecedented, you know, it's global, it's impacting everybody. But mm. you're right, the, um, and I've been talking with a few people just in the last week about the there's a huge amount of emotional and, and mental health impacts of this virus beyond the physical impact of, of, of COVID-19 itself, but the actual, the, the, there's a lot of concern now, um, particularly with very senior mental health professionals worldwide about what this is doing to the, the psyche of people because there's so much fear. Like we're in a fear soup. So it's how a, do we deal with that? It's a great time to watch funny movies, tell dirty jokes, like spend less time on Facebook, uh, you know, be grateful that the rest of the world will worry about the problem so I don't have to. You know, it's a good time for that. <laughs> Completely. And a great time to practice choosing your new perspective. And I think that's yeah. certainly the thing I've brought into this time has been, okay, I'm consciously choosing to be calm, peaceful and aligned in this time rather than fearful. And mm -hmm. because I've got those skills, I'm, I'm very grateful and I've been doing what I can to share those. But you're right, turn off the social media, turn off the mainstream media. You know, once a day have a check-in but there's no need to go beyond that. If something drastic is going to is, is if something really more drastic was going to happen, we'll find out about it. A, a friend or a family member or a neighbour will call us and let us know. Yeah. So you, you're right, talking about funny movies. So I just wanted to talk to you now. What is something that you do? And look, there's other things that we haven't covered. I'd like to wanted to quickly talk about B Corps, but I also wanted to talk about fun. So mm. let's try and talk about both of those things before we close. Mm. Um, I love I love paragliding. So I, right. I, I take people flying. I, I've taught my daughter and there's a lot of passion in getting, I feel very grounded in the sky. Being on the ground, this is a, it's an ungrounded place for me. So I'm working wow. to that place. So, so a lot of fun paragliding. Um, I, I've enjoyed going to music festivals. I've gone to Burning Man a few times, you know, yep. so I, I like uh, rekindling my youth and being in those those uh, those fun spaces. So those are two areas. Yeah. Absolutely, no, I love it. And Burning Man, you're right. I've been myself, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's <laughs> it shows you um, the possibilities and the the incredible the incredible art, the incredible creativity of people. And yep. it's something like being in a science fiction film just on dusk when you're there, isn't it? It's like you're yeah. in this incredible space of yeah. It's a vipassana. Of, it's a vipassana course too. It's ten days. It's not all fun. No, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not all easy. No, you're exactly right. Passion on steroids in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just to, before we close too, a little bit about B Corps because you sure. I mentioned that earlier when we talked about it. So you could you tell us a bit about that? I've I've done a little bit of background research, but I'd love mm -hmm. to hear in your words what that's about and, and the possibilities for that in terms of business. Great. So I would say old school, in the old model, there were for profits and not for profits. And if you look at traditional for-profit business, its mission is to maximize return for shareholders. So in a for-profit company, it's almost against the law to overpay your employees. And if a for-profit company does charity work, it's really a marketing campaign. So you want to create goodwill in the world. So large companies are all about making money for the investor. And along the way, they're, you know, slaves of employees and, you know, uh, products and services that are put into the marketplace that may not be needed. I would say that that was all worked well for a hundred years. It's kind of like a freshman year in college, you know, we partied hard and, and, and then after the end of the year, it kind of like, ah, I'm not sure this is sustainable. And in sophomore year, there may be a better way of doing things. Uh, 
nonprofit, that, that term gives me, I, I hate that term because nonprofit to me seems non-prosperous. It's like, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're you know, we're capped and we, you know, yeah, the floor. so we'll pick a cause and every dime we raise, we'll go to the cause and we can't pay any employees at the, at the nonprofit very much. Cause if they had a nice car, we'd, we'd be written up in the newspaper that we weren't doing things correctly. Right. right. And it's kind of like this, you're familiar with carbon offsetting, you know, where yeah. carbon offsets. So it's kind of like karmic offsetting. So a profitable company does a bunch of sinful things, makes a bunch of extra money, and they send money over to a nonprofit to feel good about it. So it kind of offsets their bad karma, right? So it's kind of like, eh, I mean, it kind of worked. But where we are today, in the last 10 years, there have been this new structure created called a benefit corporation. And one of the best examples of this is Patagonia um, Clothing Company. So Patagonia has a mission to maximize the benefit for three stakeholders, investors, employees, and the Patagonia region of Chile. So they're, they're a hybrid. They're a combination of a nonprofit and a for-profit. A nonprofit's not very empowered because they could say, hey, we're going to try to benefit the Chile area, but we got to go find a bunch of rich people that are you know, feeling bad about how much money they have to give it to us so we can do the work. I'm speaking, you know crudely, but <laughs> you get the point. Okay. And, right, so they're, they're, they're kind of, a, they're not very empowered to go do their work. A, a company like Patagonia says, well, here's the issues in the Patagonia region. We're going to go hire really, really bright people to build products to, that customers will love, and we'll turn those profits into uh, a cause work in the, the Patagonia region. So it's a, it's a fully empowered, complete system. The triangle is the strongest geometrical shape in the universe. It's much more stronger than a three-legged stool. And a nonprofit or a for-profit is a single line. You put a stick on the ground, it's going to fall over. Right? It's, it, it's just nowhere near as powerful. So benefit corporations, there's about 8,000 of them now in the U.S., actually worldwide, a large number of them in the U.S. And the millennials coming into the workforce are want to have nice things, but they're more interested in doing things of purpose much less than my generation that came in where greed is good and we want a lot of money. You know, the new generation doesn't quite get that. They want to work on, they want some nice things. They want computers and phones and stuff, but they also want to be working on something that feels good. Yeah, so it's a difference. Mm. So the benefit corporations are going to hire and retain the best employees. You have customers that are going to want to buy their products because they know that the products would be doing good in the world. If you have two jackets and you know one is going to benefit the Patagonia region and the other one's going to benefit investors and they're equal products, which one are you going to buy? You're going to buy the Patagonia jacket. The cool thing also is an investor in those companies gets a dual return. They get a financial return because they share the profits, but they also get a philanthropic return because they know that their money is being used to good. Right? So it, it starts to create this vortex of support from all of these different stakeholders. And it's, yeah, it gets me super excited. Uh, I have gone to a number of conferences of B Corps, and a lot of them are getting founded by very successful tech, ex tech executives. So kind of call them third time to the plate guys. You know, they, they hit a home run two times with other tech companies. They started to look at, say, homelessness issue in, in San Francisco. And then they got excited about a product idea, and they said, well, I'm going to build this product who's purpose is to affect change in the San Francisco area because they're entrepreneurs. They know how to make money, right? And now they're applying it to a specific cause. 
it's kind of like a three-dimensional chessboard. They, they got mastered one-dimensional chess, which is kind of old world capitalism. And now they're like, well, now I got a three-dimensional chessboard. That's really interesting. Like, how do I create a business that's going to affect positive change in the world? And you put those together. Absolutely. So, wow, yeah. that's great. That's a, and it's a and it, it is if you like. I love that analogy you've used of freshman to sophomore year in terms of <laughs> we've we've been in one zone. It's worked quite well, but yeah. this is almost like a it's it's a it's a twenty first century upgrade to business in terms of yeah. how to do this in a way. That is that is actually going to benefit not only the the owners and the investors and stockholders, but also particular places or spaces or or, or things. How how are, so you help people set those up? Is that one of the things that you do? Uh, I've um, I've helped. I'm a co-founder of one called Beneficial Ventures, which is a B Corp real estate company in the northwest of the U.S. And then another project that actually didn't come across the line was to create a B Corp trucking company, uh, a transportation company. I spent a year on that. But I want to touch on the point you just made. Uh, we have lots of friends in the spiritual community and I have a lot of hippie friends that are constantly sort of denouncing capitalism as the evil. And I think it's the most powerful force on the planet. Like as humans, we want to create and we want to be rewarded for our creations. I mean, this is basically capitalism. I want to create something and I want to get praise or find it. I want to be rewarded for it. Like that's capitalism. And the problem is capitalism worked amazingly well but didn't have a checks and balances system in it to curb or to, to train us away from self-greed towards giving into the system, which actually provides more joy than the self-greed. So the benefit corporation, like a proper checks and balances government system, as the more successful the company is, other people start to become more successful as well. And management starts to get this incredible joy of seeing these other parties uh, being rewarded as they're getting more successful. So it's, a, it's an accelerator on the what's being rewarded back to those running the company. I love that. You're, you're, and I, yes, I hear exactly what you're saying. It's, and it is, it's creating the vortex of positive change, a, a vortex. And as what we know about energy is that mm -hmm. it's tracks like, it's going to bring more of it in. So if we can mm -hmm. be operating, and if we can be operating in this space of, of upward energy, I'm sort of using that analogy of sort of a vortex moving upwards towards the, the sky, then it's going to bring more people in as mm -hmm. opposed to a downward spiral that's actually going to, well, it's going to bring people in from a fear perspective, but you're talking about bringing people in really from a from an energetic, from a love perspective. So yeah. and it comes down to fear or love, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. that's those yeah. things. But, and it's so interesting you raised that comment about, because, and I, it's, it's this whole conversation, the question was in the back of my mind, you're right. There are a lot of people in the spiritual community who denounce money even. They denounce capitalism and they have a lack of comfort with money and therefore mm. stay quite stuck in a lack um, mindset. Have you got anything you'd like to say to that or how, in terms of how to perhaps look at that differently? Um, good for you for trying those clothes on. They don't look very comfortable, you know. <laughs> it's just... You know, and, and there's so much guilt over it. And somehow, you know, the renunciate path is, you know, the Buddhism talks about renunciation. And and it's a, it's a productive stage to go through for a while to mm -hmm. feel what it feels like to force yourself to have nothing. Mm -hmm. But then you're still trying to change reality. You're not accepting of is because you're trying to not receive things. And what happens then a lot of times you start receiving more things and then you get frustrated or, or you get upset other people have it and they shouldn't be having things. 
That's and it, it's an abundant world. Like you have too much oxygen, you have too many financial resources. Like, well, you know, just do something with them. You know, if, if you're if you're programming your DNA is having you attracted to receive more resources, then um, work with those, have fun with them. That's right. And those resources can then using that B Corp model, as you say, can then actually bring more people in and and actually do more good in the world. You're when you're in a great place and an abundant place within yourself, that energetic place of abundance, then you're going to radiate out more of that and attract more in so you can actually do more for others. So we're we're gods and goddesses in training. Like yeah. and and gods and goddesses fly in nice chariots. Like like we 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 don't eat off the floor. Like we 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 we've incarnated and leveled of a certain level of consciousness. We're entitled to, you know, to fly in nice uh, chariots and stagecoaches. So it's okay. That's um, and yeah, and you're touch. We're touching on this notion of worth and yeah. self worth. And I think this, and it certainly has been my journey. It's, it's coming to understand that innate worthiness that we have within us, and that we are worth having nice clothes or good food to eat or a great chariot, as you say, to, to ride in, whatever it is that that we like. There's, 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 um, where there's an. It, it's okay to have that, as opposed to not feeling good enough, and that's the and and not feeling worthy enough of that. But so when we come to that place of real worthiness within ourselves, we can then actually start having much greater impact on the world, as well. I'm, I'm sure you follow the same. Th- train of thought though is it was important for us to explore being unworthy so we can wake up to the gratitude of being worthy and, Absolutely. and so you have to take the fish out of water for a while so it appreciates being back in the water so i i've enjoyed being unworthy for a while so i have perspective on that that seat in the classroom so that's exactly right it's taught it's taught me a lot and um you know we, you can explore a lot in that place but then you get to a point where it's tiring and um and it's nice to actually understand that that life can be a different way and and that connection i think that and for me the ultimate the penny dropped i remember a, a number of years ago i were a few years ago i was doing you know something very mundane washing the dishes um you know later in the evening and listening i was listening to a a channel discussion by someone and and the comment was well you know Yet again, the comment was, you are worthy, you are part of a source. Mm. And I felt like I'd, I'd resisted that for so long. And then I was like, you know what? <laughs> I just keep saying this. <laughs> Why am I resisting this, this, this truth? And it is mm. a universal truth that we can all buy into if we, if we so choose. And you're right. We, but we had to go through that, through the, what the, you know, the valley of the shadow of death to actually mm. come out the side and, and realize how amazing things are for us. I think there's an incredibly powerful spiritual practice. It's called yawning and and being bored with something. So mm-hmm. when we get to boredom of resist I'm bored of resisting, there's this yeah. wonderful break between the two. You know what? Oh, just I'm just bored of resisting. And then if we can encourage ourselves to just yawn in those places, it leads to surrender. And then usually Brent comes to the opposite side of that equation. So. Absolutely. Incredible awareness. No, you're exactly right. (laughs) Just thinking, we have covered so much today and um, there's many more things I'd love to ask you, but just thinking of people listening, if there is one thing, if someone's struggling perhaps with this notion of freedom or surrender, is there one thing, one one little 
piece of advice that you would give them to perhaps get started on the road or something that's worked well for you? Obviously, meditation and Vipassana has been incredibly powerful for you. I mean, I gave one there was just yawn. I, I would I would consciously be careful of the stories that you're sharing and yep. the, the words. Uh, there's a wonderful matrix that method I was given where thoughts are a power of one, spoken word is a power of 10, written word is a power of 100, and witness written word is a power of 1,000 wow. on its impact of future experiences. The cool thing is it's, it's really difficult to change our thoughts because they just come. But with some mindfulness and consciousness, we can be more careful about what we're saying and be very mindful of what we write and even extremely mindful of what we have others read. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's really painful to me when I watch dear friends of mine write things on Facebook where they're basically committing themselves to further suffering mm. by, I'm so sad and all this stuff is happening to me and blah, 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 blah. Like you then have the consciousness of all of your friends seeing you in that position and holding you in that field. Right? Yeah, holding you in a box. You create a box to hold yourself in. This, I talk about this all the time. The stories we create are just... Right. So, so being very mindful of the words that we share, even if they're, they need to be truthful. But if we can, you know, I, I started to tell the story of my, my divorce was painful, but I started to talk about the gift that, that this was giving me in life and started to share that because and at first it was kind of like, that's BS. I didn't really feel it, but I was starting to just tell that story a little bit. And the more that I started to tell that story, it became my story and it was, you know, it led to something. So it needs to be truthful or at least spoken in a way that could be viewed as truthful. Yep. And, and even if your mind doesn't believe it, but if you can say a version of it that is truthful, that'll become more truthful as you share it, then things change, right? Absolutely. So, I love it. So be very mindful of what you write uh, and have other people view because yeah. you got a lot of jurors that are holding you in prison to those viewpoints. <laughs> so. You are, honestly, you are so right. And that is exactly, that's the, the essence of, of what I, when I work with people, it's exactly that, Matt, is what is the story you're intentionally telling about yourself, to yeah. yourself, firstly, but you're yeah. right, what you put out in the world. So thank you so much. That's just been a fantastic place to conclude and that's a great piece of advice for people, you know, because it really does work. So if people want to find out more about you and the amazing abundance model and what you're doing overall, where should where should people go? I just would like you to add in your words what you'd like to go. I, I have a placeholder website up called karmaventures.org. And so mm -hmm. there's some they can reach me there and they can see a list of some of the projects that I've been involved in. So karmaventures.org would be a great place to go. And people can email you from there. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for your time today. I have so enjoyed our conversation and I'll be looking forward to having more of these conversations in the future with you. So thank you appreciate for your time. Really thank you. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Your Freedom Unlimited. If you like this show, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review Your Freedom Unlimited on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at jenramsey.com. Thanks for listening. 